Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's ASF Weekly Science Podcast. This week, I have a special treat for you. I have two amazing scientists from Stony Brook University who just published a paper about the concurrent existence of both strengths and deficits, even in a single domain across people with autism. And I think that this is really important because so often people are categorized or lumped into having deficits or having strengths, not recognizing that a person can have both and they can describe themselves as having both. And it gets tricky to explain that to clinicians, but I will defer to my special guests on that one. Commenting on this paper and explaining this paper are Dr. Matthew Lerner from Stony Brook and a recent graduate student. Jacqueline Gates, also from his lab at Stony Brook. So Dr. Lerner, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure, absolutely. Um, so I'm uh, Matt Lerner. I'm an associate uh, professor of psychology, psychiatry, and pediatrics, and uh, research director of our autism initiative and co-director of our Lens Center uh, here at Stony Brook. And um, in our uh, lab called the Social Competence and Research uh, Social Competence and Treatment Lab, our goal is to sort of uh, uh, try to better understand what we mean when we're talking about being socially capable and you know successful, um, primarily but not exclusively for those on the spectrum. And I'm really fortunate to have worked for many years now uh, with Jack. Yeah, uh, so my name is Jackie Gates. I am a currently a clinical psychology PhD student at Stony Brook University. And uh, again, I work with Dr. Matt Lerner, who is my advisor. Wonderful. And, and Jackie, you uh, were the first author on a recent paper that was published in the journal Child Development. Um, the title was Quantifying Social Skill Deficits and Strengths Profiles in Autistic Youth. And so the first question is, we do hear a lot about deficits and challenges in um, autistic individuals. We hear a lot about their deficits. We also sometimes hear about their strengths, um, but not clearly as often as we should. You take a different approach and you look at both strengths and challenges. So first, can you explain why, this, why it's important to look at them both at the same time? Right, so as you've mentioned, the field has largely has historically focused on thinking about autism and specifically social skills in autism, uh, mostly as a deficit. In more recent years, we've kind of uh, started to gain a more, a better understanding uh, and seeing that it's a much more nuanced picture uh, than just deficits or just challenges, uh, and that there are also a significant number of social skill strengths uh, that many autistic people face um, or have. Uh, here we're trying to kind of parse out the complexities of social interaction and really thinking about uh, patterns of strengths and deficits that anybody and everybody can and does have. Uh, this method here uh, for address addressing and assessing this is much more equitable on those terms. Again, seeing strengths and challenges within a person. Uh, we see this kind of uh, this project uh, and this methodology as being kind of strategically important specifically for the autism field. We don't really need to think of this as this kind of binary, either someone has strengths uh, or someone has is, uh, you know, socially competent uh, or that someone is has only deficits. Uh, we can get a little bit deeper and find kind of this diverse set of strengths uh, and differences in social interaction, again, within one person. Yeah, and, and I think another important part of that framing, you know, before we kind of dive all the way into the, the methodology is, 
This approach also lets us, I think, be very honest about the language that we're using here. Um, you know, there's a lot of complexity, as we know, around talking about either your strengths or deficits. They're often seen in very kind of binary ways, particularly in the autism field. But, you know, this particular tool that we use here actually was not developed for and is not specific to autism. It's talking about, you know, so the fact that everybody, all of us, every single person has some things we struggle in socially. And every single person has some things that we're good at uh, socially. And by being able to sort of look at these things together, if these what what uh, this, the the term that Jackie coined is sort of social strengths and deficit profiles, yes. uh, individual profiles, uh, we can be a little bit more forthright about what that really looks like and what those uh, those trade offs are for any individual. And to add a little bit to that, uh, for us specifically, we wanted to kind of better understand these social challenges as well. So the autism field at large has historically treated social difficulties in this population as arising mostly from uh, difficulties not knowing what to do or kind of difficulty acquiring skills. But it's come clear to many autistic people and uh, many clinicians that they know a lot of skills, uh, but they're having a lot of difficulty performing them. Importantly, this kind of longstanding belief in acquisition difficulties as kind of central to the autistic social experience has informed our interventions and treatment uh, and a lot of how we look at autism. So better kind of understanding this complexity and kind of where these uh, struggles are helps us to understand uh, how better to support people. Yeah, that's a perfect explanation. I do want to talk about the measures that you used and also how you approach this, because while I know this is not the the final say on this issue, hopefully what you guys did might inspire other people to look at either the same this issue or um, in a similar way or utilize the the techniques that you used. So either Dr. Lerner or Jackie, can you talk about how you measured these different strengths and challenges? And then you already kind of mentioned acquisition and performance. So um, if you could give some examples and even some examples for people about like how you measured the skill. I can take that question. Uh, again, something that I wanted to make clear here is that uh, this method wasn't specifically developed for um, autistic challenges. This is a method and a model that has been used uh, in thousands of different kids uh, and is something that shows and tries to say that, hey, everybody kind of has these strengths and challenges socially, uh, and this is a way that we can quantify that. Uh, so this method highlights that within those challenges, again, there are different types of difficulties that arise, uh, difficulties with the acquisition of skills or challenges due to a lack of knowledge or understanding of how to utilize a social skill. Um, how to or how to decide when it's appropriate to use a social skill um, and difficulties with performing or engaging in skills that you already know how to do. I think the the kind of key feature, you know, as Jackie said, is that um, you know this is a measure that's used, you know, not it's not specific to autism. It's been around for about a decade, um, and the key thing is it's really anchored for any individual. The way it's personalized is this question of what's important for that person. So rather than saying, what's the profile, you know, what are all of the skills that a person has? Are they, do they have more strengths or challenges in any given domain? It says, let's start with what, you know, what does the, the, let's say the parent, if they're filling it out or the individual, if they're filling it out themselves say, is this skill important? If it's important, 
how frequently, you know, how much are, is it really being done, right? So if a parent says, um, you know, this is really, it's really important that my child, um, you know, greets new people when they meet them, but I've never, ever seen him do it. That would be considered a knowledge deficit or an acquisition deficit. They, they appear to, to not have that skill, according to that parent, uh, as far as they've been able to see. If they sometimes do it, we might consider it a performance challenge, which is that they, you know, seem to have the ability to do it, but don't always. Um, and there's maybe something getting in the way of performing that ability. And then the third is strength, right? That it's important and my child always greets new people. And you refer to this measure and it's called um, the social skills deficits and strengths profile. So that's what's been, this is something that's been around um, that's being used clinically mm -hmm. as an assessment for people, not just um, with, with autism. You mentioned in the paper, ADHD is being an example mm -hmm. about where it's being used. Just can we just say before, just to clarify, the me the measure itself is actually called the Social Skills Improvement System. That's the literally the, okay. the questionnaire. Okay. But the SSDSP or the profile is okay. sort of the way of, it's a different way of basically scoring that measure to get these individual profiles. Um, anyway, Jackie. If no, thank you. That's an yeah. important, that's, that, that's important. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, please explain. Yeah. So the method we use here is a, an alternative scoring system that's applied to the social skills improvement system or the SSIS. This is a commonly used measure to assess social skills and other types of behaviors. Uh, so this, as Dr. Lerner said, this me method starts with a rating of importance. It starts with whoever you're asking, again, what skill does that person think is important. If someone rates a skill on a three-point Likert scale, um, if they rate that skill as either important or critical, from there it gets the opportunity to be classified as either a strength or uh, one of the two types of challenges. The point is, again, that uh, this kind of profile is person-specific to that rater uh, and that child or that rater and themselves. However, it's kind of being rated here. So once you figure out these things that are important to them and you can kind of, they have this qualifier to get uh, classified. Um, it then gets classified as either a strength, an acquisition deficit, or a performance deficit. Um, so uh, these are also rated on frequencies on a four-point scale. Um, basically, a little bit kind of going off of what Dr. Lerner said earlier, um, a strength is something that someone does every single time in every single setting. So again, if they're uh, one of the items is starting conversations with peers, a strength would be a person that is able to kind of initiate conversations across different settings all the time. They don't really tend to have any difficulties kind of doing that. Um, if they never do it, if they're never kind of in any situation initiating conversations, uh, this would be an acquisition deficit. The assumption is that it's not ever being seen uh, because they do not uh, necessarily have acquired those skills um, or not know exactly how or when to implement that skill. Um, and when they sometimes do it, uh, this is maybe they're doing it, um, uh, whoever the rater is is saying they're doing it every once in a while. Um, you know, maybe they're only doing it at home, but not at school or on the playground. Uh, this would be a performance deficit. Uh, they're sometimes starting these conversations with peers, but not all the time. So something might be getting in the way, either environmentally or something else from them always doing it. And then you put all this together to kind of do a gross, a gross misrepresentation of what happens, but you put all this data in Skinner's black box and you come <laughs> out with this, um, this profile. 
before we talk about the profile itself, tell me a little bit about the people with autism or the autistic individuals that you used in this study. So like you just mentioned on the playground. So I want to just like, were they in school? What ages were they? Mm -hmm. um, were they in a mainstream classroom? Was there a mix? So this study included both autistic and non-autistic youth uh, using parent report data. So we have uh, a, a variety of different uh, children kind of in within this uh, study here. The participants in, in both uh, both groups had average IQ scores uh, and they were between the ages of seven and a half to 18. Um, the reason why, so all are around school age children. Um, the SSIS actually does not go any higher than 18. So uh, we were kind of restricted in uh, in assessing kind of children and adolescents in this uh, in this sample. And um, just to clarify, so we had a you know fairly large sample. We had over 200 participants, uh, uh, kids and, and families who participated. And you know to the question of you know, you're asking. As Jackie said, you know, most of them had um, roughly average or within the kind of roughly average range IQ, because really for this initial study, this is the first time the SSDSP and SSDSP has been examined in folks in the spectrum. We really wanted to kind of make as direct a comparison as we could uh, uh, in a population, you know, typically developing or non-autistic population um, with similar cognitive ability to those on the spectrum so that we're, we don't have sort of that confound of, well, maybe the kids on the spectrum have a different profile just because, you know, they don't understand uh, instruction as much, or there might be, you know, the, the different aspects of cognition that could be getting in the way. So by, by matching them, in, uh, at least in this initial study in this way, we can really make a more cleaner kind of apples to apples comparison about these profiles. So we can better understand, you know, really what the core is, which, which is what is unique about the social skills and deficit profile of autistic youth. So what did you find? I mean, obviously we mm -hmm. highlighted the lead here and saying that there are strengths and challenges. So tell us a little bit about the findings in terms of um, where were their deficits? Where were their strengths? How did they compare? Yeah, so we uh, conducted two main different types of analyses. So first we compared autistic and non-autistic youth profiles. And then we also looked a little bit deeper into the autistic uh, group social profile or average social profile as well. Uh, so our main overview findings uh, between autistic and non-autistic youth are that autistic youth had more acquisition deficits and performance deficits and fewer social skill strengths than non-autistic youth. Uh, those were to be expected uh, based on kind of past research and understanding. Uh, but where things were more interesting for us were kind of these within autism group uh, profiles that we, we analyzed. And we found that uh, autistic youth had three times more performance deficits than acquisition deficits. So remember a little earlier, we were talking about how kind of the field at large has, and especially a lot of interventions have focused on trying to improve acquisition of social skills. We're finding here, and a lot of other recent research has also found that performance deficits are much more prevalent within these profiles and acquisition deficits. Importantly, we also found that autistic people had, uh, or autistic children had uh, twice as many social skill strengths than, uh, than acquisition deficits. So again, uh, social skill strengths a lot higher than this, these, these knowledge or acquisition deficits that have been uh, kind of 
the prevailing theory uh, within the field and showing that uh, maybe this is actually, according to us, this is actually the least prevalent aspect of uh, autism social functioning. Yeah, that I think, you know, Jackie hit the really key points, but I think the, the, the a big take home here is that performance challenges seem to be the thing that distinguish autism more than anything else. So an, a, a substantial increase in basically kids knowing what to do, but not always doing them. And and that that really spiked up, you know, in the graph, right, way higher than anything else in either population, right? They had more performance deficits than the typically developing group had had strengths, even. But importantly, they also had substantial amount of strengths, as Jackie said, and um, and acquisition deficits, even though they were greater than those in typically developing kids, um, were, were the least prominent part of the profile. And we have a lot, a lot more to say about that idea. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So my, so actually, let's go into that now. Supports for social skills should focus on everything, but maybe they're under focused on performance. Am I interpreting that correctly? Yeah, I think that's exactly uh, correct here. And that's kind of one of the things that we did want to highlight. Uh, one of the reasons kind of why we initially came in to, to do this study was because of these findings possibly informing intervention research, there's been a lot of research um, more recently highlighting that performance-based interventions um, can be effective and are effective at increasing both performance skills and then through that also acquisition of skills too. Um, also, uh, a recent meta-analysis that we did highlighted that uh, some of the struggles uh, that we see in intervention effectiveness might actually be due to um, over uh, adherence to kind of a social knowledge or social acquisition model of, of attempting to kind of improve or support social skills. Yeah. <clears throat> you mind if I elaborate a little bit? Yeah, please. So I think to, to sort of be a little bit, a little bit concrete about this and even thinking about, you know, what's the potential for any intervention to make a difference? I think one way to think about these findings is if this is a profile, Right. If this truly is within a person, a profile, how what percent of their socialness is it is this uh, uh, can be described in each of these terms. Right. Um, performance deficits represent 30 percent in our study of the total profile of folks on the spectrum. So what that means is that let's say you could have an intervention that helped with all of those, that basically gave, you know, you wave a magic wand, say, I've got my performance wand. I'm going to point it at performance challenges and all of these kids who know what to do, but don't do them all the time. I'm going to help get out of the way, whatever's blocking that, you know, the difference would be really dramatic, right? 30% of, of all of their sort of socialness would be um, improved. They would have more opportunities to do things that they maybe want to do, see as important, but get stuck. On conversely, the acquisition deficits, that is things they never do, would, is only about 8%. So what that means is that even if, you know, and again, we can think about acquisition deficits kind of like knowing what to do, like, you know, knowing the rule, being able to be like, oh, all right, when I meet somebody, I should do this. I never do it. Now I'm going to do it, right? Even if we could 
eliminate those and say, all right, you never do this, even though it's important. It's, you know, you don't know how or it's too hard. I'm going to magically make you know how and give you the ability to do it whenever you want. It actually wouldn't change a particularly huge amount of their moving of their socialness in their daily life. In fact, and this is maybe the even more provocative idea, if you really want to make a make a, a you know a, a big difference, focusing on performance matters. But but there's almost twice as many strengths as there are acquisition deficits. So even if we could just also wave our magic wand and help folks to you know have more opportunities to engage in and demonstrate the things they're already good at, that would still make a bigger difference in terms of the overall socialness of that person and their, their experience of the social world. I'm gonna talk about the idea of a profile now. Yeah. So how can we use this? I mean, how can approaches like this be used so that clinicians can capitalize on the strengths, but then also address the challenges? Yeah, so the SSIS, the, the, the measure kind of behind this method, is, is a tool that is accessible and is used by many clinicians uh, already. So this kind of, again, this allows them to possibly use what they're already using to gain uh, a richer and more individualized uh, profile, like you said, um, out of this existing tool. Uh, what, what we think it could help with, uh, like you mentioned, is getting a little bit more of this individualized understanding of what exactly is happening uh, within the social experience of one of their clients. Uh, that could be what strengths uh, are already there. That could be used to, again, inform um, what types of experiences they are encouraging for their clients. Um, also inform things like, uh, you know, possible uh, future vocational experiences that are based off of these strengths, uh, rather than kind of focusing uh, more on areas that have more challenges. But then again, uh, of course, as clinicians, we want to try and improve challenges in all of our clients' lives. And for many autistic people, that is uh, these social difficulties that they're experiencing. So this, again, individualized uh, parsing out of what these challenges are can help to improve kind of maybe the methods that are being used. Uh, so for example, if we know that uh, a certain set of skill, like the, I'll use the one that uh, I used earlier, which is like initiating conversation, if we know that's a performance-based skill. So we know that, you know, I know my client uh, understands that they're, you know, how to do that. They understand, uh, you know, you walk up to someone or, you know, kind of the, I don't want to be too, uh, you know, routine because there's no one way to initiate a conversation, but let's say they understand kind of how to do that, uh, but they're not doing it and they're having a lot of struggles. And that's something that's really important to them because they've indicated that it's important to initiate conversations better. This is a way where a clinician can look at this and say, okay, I need more performance-based uh, strategies here uh, rather than kind of keep hammering home this kind of like increase in knowledge. Uh, Matt, I don't know if you have any other thoughts or things to add here. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to maybe give an example. Let's say you have a child and they have, and you've run this, this profile on them. And I'm just going to pick out three different types of skills. One is sharing with others. Two is greeting people. Three is uh, being friendly with kids, you know, right? Those might be three different, you know, skills, right? So let's say for a, you know, a little uh, particular person, you call it's call him Johnny. 
And let's say the profile tells me that Johnny um, is, you know, has a, a, an acquisition deficit with uh, the first one, sharing. You've never seen him share with anybody. He has a performance deficit with greeting others. He does it sometimes, but not really always. Um, but he has a real strength of being friendly with people he knows. Um, I could actually, as a clinician, build a, uh, you know, a, a social program around him, right? I could, for instance, you know, in the first domain, in the first thing, uh, have him, you know, practice sharing, right? Or maybe, or maybe even tell, even just tell him, hey, you know, sharing is important, you know, teach him what that means. That's, that's, that's something that doesn't seem to be something he knows how to do yet. In the second domain, I might give him opportunities to kind of learn to be uh, more successful uh, with with greeting. You know, give him give him uh, you know do do games that require uh, uh, greeting other people as part of it, and kind of have that be something that he gets more excited about and reinforced about. Because the thing with the performance deficit is that it's not that he can't do it. It's not that he needs to be taught the rule. He already knows how to do it. It's you know it's the example Jackie said, but he needs opportunities to do that successfully so that he can do it more confidently and regularly. Or possibly, you know, there might be things like executive function that get in the way where we can target those. And meanwhile, in that last domain, right, being friendly with peers, I think it's really important to then also mix in, and I think this is where we miss things sometimes clinically, mix in opportunities for that for him too, so he feels successful. So he is successful, and so he's actually having that happen in a context where he's being reinforced, where he feels valued, and where the things that he's good at um, matter, you know, uh, feel like they matter not just to him, but to those around him. So that would be how I, if I were a clinician, to use this tool might actually adapt and structure my program to individualize and meet the needs, meet his needs. And I also might use it to prioritize his needs. Like maybe if that acquisition deficit piece was was so rare, was so unusual, maybe I wouldn't prioritize that yet because as we said, as we said already in autism, that may actually not move the needle much in terms of, of really improving his life. Um, but I might focus more on the, those latter two things, which could. My final question is, how do we build a system where we're both recognizing the challenges, the impairments, the deficits that people have, while also helping to um, boost up their their strengths and things that they like to do, even if they're not that good at them, capitalize on those things um, so that they can have the best outcome? So I think our hope is that work like this, and, and certainly this is not the only such project like this, you know, can kind of uh, start to chart a path there where we don't, I think, have to be afraid of acknowledging the complexity of people that most, you know, all of us, and this is, I think, why it's important that we start off by saying this is not a tool that's unique to autism. Nobody designed this saying this is specifically to tell you about the deficits of autism or other strengths, right? It's to say this is we all have have these these profiles, and if we can do a better job of understanding how that uh, those profiles um, present, we can actually do a better job of of being helpful because then we're not pigeonholing anybody either into. Uh, being defined only by their deficits, nor being responsible to only ever live your strengths. Because that's a really, you know, both of those things are pretty high pressure ways to be, right? Yes, we, I think we can all agree nobody wants to only be told the things they're bad at. 
But it's actually pretty hard hard to live every day if you're only supposed to ever exemplify the things that you do well at, because we all have hard days. I'm tired. I didn't sleep well enough last night. I'm drinking a lot of coffee. I might, I, you know, might go off on a tangent. That's That might be my social deficit today now or a part of my profile. And I, you know, I think everyone deserves to be able to sort of have those experiences if they're going to be appreciated as a full human being. And I think that's, that's part of what our, our hope is, you know, uh, you know, with with this is is that, you know, if we can if we can appreciate if we, can, if we can use that kind of framework, uh, one, we can get away from some of the debates that tend to reduce people to being one thing or another, kind of reduce everything to black and white. Um, but actually, we can drive forward, you know, exactly as you're talking about, Alicia, kind of, you know, policies and approaches that 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 account for those nuances without it without it just being reduced to well everybody's different and everyone has and that's it and we can never do anything for anybody because that's not really fair either I, I think the other piece related to what you're talking about that's 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 really important to keep in mind you know from this study is that you know uh autistic people um are not only defined when we're talking about strengths and deficits are not only defined by social deficits and strengths somewhere else. Um, that one of the things that we're really finding here is that is that just like everybody else, you know, it's, it's part of a long history, decades of, of work, you know, kind of dispelling the myth that being on the spectrum means you are so radically different from everybody else that it's that it, there's there's no comparison. Turns out that's not true. Again, here even not true. And that folks on the spectrum also have key key social strengths in their profiles too. And we should we should value and uplift and support those, while also acknowledging that they're going to struggle in some situations as well. Jackie, to add a little bit to that, focusing only on challenges is not necessarily getting you uh great supports either because we're we're looking at kind of um what the the challenge profile is here and again there's there's a significant amount of uh performance difficulties when a large and vast uh you know portion of the field focuses on acquisition and knowledge um so not kind of parsing apart and, and creating this nuance within social skills uh for autistic people is not necessarily helping any type of social outcomes uh, already. Uh, we're seeing that, you know, you could kind of, again, keep keep teaching social knowledge and there'll still be performance deficits there that are holding uh, that person back in that in that area. Additionally, there's a lot of strengths that aren't, aren't highlighted. So again, uh, if mm -hmm. we're not able to kind of see those strengths, uh, and if, if our goal here uh, as clinicians is to kind of improve the quality of life, improve uh, the experience uh, of all of our clients, uh, ignoring those strengths is going to end up, uh, you know, not, not effectively supporting that person. Is there anything else that 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 you would like to add or say or bring up and discuss? I think one thing uh, which might not necessarily be relevant um, to your specific prompt, but one thing that I definitely wanted to highlight is that while these specific findings uh, are from parent report of social skills, we looked at self-report uh, and looked at social profiles from a self-report uh, standpoint. These were presented at uh, the 2021 uh, INSAR a poster session, but we found that autistic youth themselves are also uh, reporting these higher rates of performance deficits relative to neurotypical youth. 
for anybody listening or uh, anybody that's wondering, well, you know, you only looked at this from from a parent report uh, standpoint, we're also finding these a very similar pattern uh, reported from self-report. Yeah, I think I think similarly, you know, the the thing last thing I probably did want to highlight is this question of perspective and what this can tell us about perspective. It's two things. I mean, the first one is exactly as Jackie said that you you know that that even the self report. Because uh, uh, again, I'm sure many listeners are saying, great, you're asking parents. We're always asking parents, what do the individuals themselves think? And it turns out we've asked them, as Jackie said, they're actually reporting relatively similar things, particularly that prominence of performance challenges being the biggest piece, that the biggest challenge is not that folks say, I don't know what to do ever, but rather I do it sometimes and I just get stuck, something gets in my way. That should give us a, a pretty big flashing light that we need to really be focusing on those kinds of challenges because everyone is telling us that that's what's getting in the way. The second thing though, this I think is, is this, I think this reveals some really important, the study reveals some really important things to us about why we've made some of the mistakes we've made in the past in attributing so much to acquisition deficits and autism, right? So much of the history of the field has involved, you know, saying autism means you don't, this child never knows what to do. They don't ever do it. But but we increasingly know that that's not often the case. And I think the reason, a part of the reason is, is sort of buried in these findings, which is to say, even though acquisition deficits were the smallest portion of the overall profile and folks on the spectrum, they were still a little more common than they are in typically mm-hmm. developing folks. And as I can say as a parent, right? If you're like, I want my child to greet people and he never not once in my life have i ever seen him open the door and say hi you want to pull your hair out right and so you know i i think that that really stands out to a to a parent when they see that happen and it becomes the focus then of we i gotta get him to know how to do this i gotta get him to know how to do these three or four things that he never does but i think what this study shows us is that yeah that's a little bit more common but it's still a minority of the overall profile and so maybe what we can do is use some of the findings like this to to think more broadly um about individual you know any individual on the spectrum but parents can use this to look more broadly at their child and say okay that's you know yeah maybe he never greets anybody but what are the things that he does do uh, some of the time and maybe, you know, could use some help to do more frequently or does all the time and should feel valued for that too. And of course, that ultimately in the home and in daily life is how we can support really the idea of a individualized profile, just like the individualized people who we work with. This is why in general, I think in any, you know, any good research, particularly psychology, but any field, right, the answer is you should ask ask everybody, ask everybody, right? right? Yeah. Exactly. Cause sometimes it's maybe, you know, and this is the other direction we intend to go in the future is we also want to understand the, you know, whether or not the distance between a parent and a child's perception, you know, maybe matters too. maybe those situations where, you know, uh, someone's someone's son or daughter is sitting there saying, I think I'm great at this. Mm-hmm. And the parent is saying, I really don't think you are, <laughs> you know, maybe that gives us another important focus place to focus. Yeah. Right. How do we resolve that discrepancy that so that folks actually feel more comfortable in their own house and at home and in their own skin? Yeah. And at school. Right. And at school. Right. And at school. And at school. So. I want to thank both of you. This was a really interesting discussion, and I'm sure not the last 
of these investigations that you guys are going to conduct um, at Stony Brook. So thank you guys for for joining us. And uh, thank you to the listeners for listening today to this interesting discussion. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you so much.